0: Hey everybody, uh, thanks for tuning in to the Apex Vaulting Podcast, which is sponsored by UCS Spirit Poles. It's the world's most popular poll. Uh, don't you want to jump on what the world record holders jump on? They jump on fiberglass, kids. That's what they jump on, fiberglass poles, and specifically UCS polls. So I, I don't know about you, but if it's good enough for them, it's certainly more than good enough for me. Um, check out UCS Spirit. I can't tell you how happy I am to have UCS Spirit poles at Apex Vaulting. From the first day that I coached, uh, I remember the first year, I purchased four poles for my kids and I chose UCS Spirit. And ever since, I've been buying UCS Spirit poles. It's, it's a great way to build series of poles because their pole is so, so consistent. And regardless of when you purchase your pole that pole is gonna fit into your series. Meaning, if you bought a pole five, 10 years ago, and now you buy a brand new pole that's five pounds stiffer than that 10-year-old pole, it's a true five pounds. You're not gonna have any problems going from that older pole to that new pole. It's awesome. Sometimes other brands, they kinda redo the whole process of how they construct the poles, and it might feel a little different. Well, you don't have to worry about that with UCS Spirit poles. It's gonna be a smooth transition when you're going up poles. And again, I mean, World record holders jump on UCS spirit poles, you know. Um, make sure to like us on Facebook. It's Apex Vaulting. You can find us. Um, we always post information about our club and, and just random pole vault information. Sometimes we have some funny memes, right, Billy? Um, and if you really want to check out those funny memes and any funny stuff that we put up, um, make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Real Apex Vaulting. Um, You can also follow us on Twitter. We have a website, apexvaulting.com. And exciting news, I couldn't wait to announce this. Apex Vaulting is teaming up with UCS. They're going to stock poles with us, and you will be able to, in the tri-state area, drive to Apex Vaulting and look at our selection of poles and buy one. How awesome is that? I mean, that would be great. When I first started coaching, I would have loved to go to a store and kind of like be able to like look at the pole and kind of think about it. And you, you know, I mean, maybe maybe it would have been bad. I would have bought too many, right? I I would get I would get a little crazy, you know. But what an awesome opportunity! You don't have to wait for shipping. You know, you don't ha- you don't have to wait for the pole to be made. We're gonna have a stock here, okay? Um, Also, any UCS equipment that you might be interested in, please feel free to ask. We can direct you in the right direction. Um, If you have any poll questions when you're thinking about purchasing polls, feel free to reach out to us. It's apexvaulting at gmail.com, and thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, This is our second episode and we're so lucky. Uh, We made the trip down to Knoxville, like I said in episode one, and uh, we are now sitting down with Jim B. Miller, um, longtime coach at UT. Uh, He coached Tim Mack to Olympic gold. uh, A lot of accolades and uh, we were were just talking about a a bunch of topics and and we're kind of talking about the national scene in pole vaulting too. And You know, for me, I know when I started coaching, uh, one of the first coaching clinics that I went to was in Atlantic City uh, in New Jersey, and you were presenting. You and uh, Richard Fulford, one of your your former athletes, were presenting, and I felt so lucky that, you know, I was able to hear you talk um, at that coaching clinic and learn so much. Uh, At that time, too, you had Beginner to Boopka by Alan Wander written. Uh, I think the Pole Vault Summit was booming at that point. You're talking about around 2005-ish. Um, so many di- great voices and pole vault power was a great way to learn because you could go on and guys like you, Roman, Alan, DJ would be on there. Uh, for people who don't know, DJ is the guy who created that mid-mark chart which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but that kind of went away. You know, I, I don't know. Like, Who are the influences today? What do you see as some of the issues like where where have all the voices gone? Well, I
1: think we're still here. I think we're just transitioning to different platforms. I need to get out more and do this. A lot of times I don't do enough clinics or, or talk to enough people because of, I have my interests here in Knoxville. But thanks for having me on. This is a great opportunity um, to talk about.
0: Yeah, it's, no no problem. It's, it's great having you. Well, it's funny you mention that,
1: that clinic because I think that it's we have to have those influences. We have to have those, uh, you have to look for mentors wherever you can look for them. And, and I, we were talking earlier. I, I, I was very lucky when I came to Knoxville, mm-hmm. I was very young. I was 23 years old. I was a graduate student and I was, uh, assigned to work with the pole vault, high jump and help with the, uh, decathletes. Okay. And I got to work with some great coaches. Uh, coach Bill Webb was a great field event coach and later head coach here at the university. Mm-hmm. And, Doug Brown and Stan Huntsman and I got to be involved in this fraternity of coaches here in Knoxville. And that was very important. One of the things they tried to teach me is, is very early on, they said, you know, you're part of the team, you're inexperienced, you're young, but we're going to get you that experience and we're going to support you and and do those things. We're not going to, we're not going to do it for you. Right. Right. But they gave me a lot of opportunities because I was a new college coach. I just finished my career at Miami of Ohio as a vaulter. Okay. And I wanted to go into coaching and teaching. So I had a teaching degree. Mm-hmm. And I was coming here to study sport management. And the first thing they did was they said, you know, we're going we're gonna to put you in some positions where you can learn from some good people. And so we brought in, Coach Webb brought in the the gold medal coach from Poland, Andrzej Krasinski. Okay. And he brought him to Knoxville because he had, uh, he was working with Athletics West at the time and and had moved um, from Poland to the US and was coaching the great American vultures of the late 80s, early 90s. Okay. Uh, Corey Tarpening, Tim Bright, and his group at Athletics West were our best vaulters, And wow. he, he came to Knoxville and stayed with us for a few days and talked to us about pole vault and the calf line and how he did those things. And, and to have that opportunity as a young coach was just amazing. And yeah. I, I have to thank coach Dickey and UT athletics for, for mentoring me as a young coach and, and coach Webb for, for making that happen. And then we also brought in, uh, Dave Johnson, who you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, who was Mike Tully's coach and mm-hmm. uh, for the latter half of his career. And these guys really shaped me. And I was coming along at a time too, when, if you think about the mid eighties, late eighties, that's really when the pole vault summit was really evolving. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, I got a lot, thank a lot of people, but our, (laughs) our first, uh, our first uh, Blue chip vaulter was John Coyne, who was a state champion out of Ohio. Okay. And set the state record, jumped 16 4, I believe. And he was our first recruit at Tennessee okay. under under my coaching stint. And Rich Fulford, who you mentioned earlier, he mm-hmm. was my first 18 footer at, at Tennessee. Yeah.
0: And I, I remember him in AC saying, if he wasn't one of your first guys, he probably would have been your first 19 footer. <laughs> Yeah, so I did.
1: I did experiment on all those guys, and you know, you go through that stage as a young yeah. coach where where you're learning and they're learning with you. And I, I really have to thank those guys too because they were willing to, they were real, willing to buy in and go along. And we did it yeah. together, and we learned a lot. And uh, yeah, I would have probably I would have probably been I'm definitely a better coach today than I was then. <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, but, it, but we learned it so much. To
0: everybody, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I. I think about it all the time and even when I'm talking to my athletes as far as their development, you know, it's like, you know, we're all better today than we were yesterday, three months ago, six months ago, if we're always learning and and trying to grow as a coach or an athlete. and yeah. You, and you never stop learning. Yeah. If, you, if you're smart, you never stop. learning. Right. You're always you know? trying to pick up something. And, um, I, I think back to what you were saying about your story where, you know, uh, I'm sorry. What was the Polish national? Andrzej Krasinski. Yeah, yeah. That he stayed like for a couple of days, you said, and, and I think about that. And, you know, the first time I actually came to Knoxville, I maybe was here four days and hung out with Roman. And I think about a lot of times how often people miss those opportunities. You know, someone else could have been sitting in on that coach's clinic in AC when you presented. You know, sometimes people just gloss over that. You know, they might not capture the moment. And you really have to take those opportunities when you're around people who have more knowledge than you to try to learn from them. Oh,
1: I really, I believe it. And I really think that you're, as a coach, you're learning from everybody. You may not, you're going to take the things that make sense to you or you're going to take the things. And that's really where you're going to test yourself as a coach. Are you going to choose wisely? Are you yes. gonna, are you going to mm-hmm. choose wisely? Are you going to pick the things that work with the resources that you have? And mm-hmm. that really that really is what's going to make you uh, make you successful or not. Is do you make those good decisions on who you what you pick and choose? And it's it's really I'm going to tell you a quick story about sure. It. So at that time it was really the beginning of the Pole Vault Summit, and I remember. Vault Summit started out as a developmental meeting, so they invited 15 guys and 15 coaches Okay. that were young guys coming up uh, who had done well in high school or college. and mm-hmm. I just went in that room, and so here I am with John. So mm-hmm. he's my high school All-American, and right, I'm supposed right. to coach him at Tennessee. So we get invited to this conference, yeah. and I asked, I asked Tennessee if they'll send us out there. And mm-hmm. and so we went, and here I am. So I'm in this room with, with um, you know, the... Pat Manson and Rick Attig and really Bob Fraley is really the catalyst for all this and Mm -hmm. Steve Chappell at UCS Mm -hmm. and so we're in this very small meeting and they gave us and I remember they gave us three articles they gave us three articles because back then it was it was articles it wasn't links yeah yeah yeah. yeah, you know there was no podcast so they gave us three articles they gave us the article of uh, Petrov giving a speech in Birmingham they gave us the article of uh, Andrzej Krasinski did a did an article in Track Technique okay. called "My Views on Pole Vaulting," okay. and then Jeff Ward was a great coach at Florida State. He'd written an article, so they gave us these three or four articles, and they said, "You need to read these. We're going to talk about them." Okay. And so that was kind of the basis of we have to we, as we said, back then it was very difficult to get good information. Right. It was this was pre Internet. And, and we joke now, I tell my students this now in class too, I said, it used to be you had to dig very hard to get information. Yes. You had to call people, write people, wait in the mail for things to come to you. Yeah. Go, to the, go to the library and dig through the stacks mm-hmm. if you found a good citation. And now we have that online. So now we have so much information online, they have a different challenge. They have a different challenge. You're inundated by all this information what's good and what's not? And how do you choose, how do you sift through the wheat from the chat.
0: Right, because in, in the past where the challenge was f- getting to the information, but usually if you got that information, it was coming from a quality source. And actually right. I remember one of my first times uh, at the Pobolt Summit, I, uh, I found Bob Fraley and, and his wife having dinner and <laughs> I just had a question and he actually made me sit down and have dinner with them, which I you know I didn't want to intrude. But he gave me a stack of papers, yeah, just articles and all that kind of stuff. So I, I can still think back to those times where it wasn't as easy on the internet. And now you have to decide what's good information and what's not. And going right. back to like, for example, vault power, and I think you know pole power is great, and Becca has done a great job with that. The thing is now, it's like part of the reason people don't post as much is you'll have like you know, a high school boy who jumps 12:6 trying to tell you what's wrong with Renault's jump. Right, <laughs> you know right. right and I think
1: that's that's the thing too is it's a little bit more you don't want to say elitist you don't want to be elitist but yeah it's it's open it's open access right. so so you're not sure if it's if it's quality stuff and and I, I was a little torn because I think she did a great job and that did a great service and mm-hmm. but I didn't get on there a lot I'm like do I I I didn't post a lot because I really don't want to get into those discussions. I want to have, I want to coach. I want to coach right. athletes out on the field. So I didn't get into a lot of those discussions, but maybe like you said, maybe we need to step forward now and, and, and get out there and promote the sport and talk about what works and what doesn't.
0: Well, and, and I think the, the platform is important because I think sometimes that's kind of the That's kind of what happens on message boards, you know, I've even heard stories where like in the weightlifting world, uh, Jim Wendler, he's developed the 5-3-1 method and there's a story where people were commenting about the 5-3-1 method and so Jim Wendler was new to this one message board. He personally posted like, hey guys, like this is how you want to go through this portion of the, the workout. And somebody's like, what do you know? You're an idiot. And then another guy posts like, that's Jim Wendler. He's, he developed the system that you're talking about, right, right. you know? And so I think that that's sometimes what happens on, on message boards. Cause I know even for myself and, you know, a little bit of background, you know, for those of people that don't know uh, my coaching history, you know, I've coached three national champions in Division Three. Uh, our school records at Raymond College are seventeen eight and a half and thirteen nine and three quarters. You know, on the girls' side, and it's still currently the indoor record in Division Three. And the thing is, I've always felt, oh well, I don't really want to post on polo power because I don't know if I really, you know, if I qualify. Like other guys yeah. have coached Olympians, but you look at the message board, and all of a sudden, people who've never coached a ten-foot girl are posting. You yeah, know? and
1: it's I think it's good because. I agree. And so sometimes there's that reticence. You don't want to, you don't want to get in the middle of that because you don't want to get bogged down. You want to, you want to coach your athletes. You mm-hmm. want to develop that stuff. And so it, it becomes a thing where you really just need to, I tell people when they go to clinics, this is how I thought about clinics. Yeah, I said, go look for people better than you. Look for people brighter than you. And yes. go and listen and hear how they say things because they may be saying very similar things, but it's a different way to say it. Right. And pick and choose what works for you. So if you can go to a clinic and you get one or two nuggets out of that clinic, then it's worth your time. Right. You know, and go and keep an open mind about it and and then you're gonna formulate some philosophies of your own. And I think that's really important.
0: But take it all in. Mm-hmm. And see what fits with your philosophy. The the I mean I would add, and and I certainly did this when you were presenting an AC, and especially with Richard, um, you know, yes, yeah, sit in on the clinic, but you can't imagine how much more you can get if you're that guy that waits till the clinic yeah. is done and yeah. walk over and try to try to ask maybe some more in depth questions of the presenter because. I have so, so much more information after that, you know, I, I walked up to you guys after the, the clinic was done and got a chance to talk to you guys and that, that helps so much, you yeah. know?
1: And that's what we're looking for too, because a lot of people won't answer, ask questions in front of everybody else. Right. So, so I get the same thing in class now when I mm-hmm. teach, you know, but, Right. but we want those things. People want those things when you have those kind of, when you have those kind of presentations, just ask them in front of the group and that'll yeah. make it more fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah no I absolutely I, th- I think de- definitely you need both sides you need to ask in front of the group but certainly that one-on-one time sometimes is uh, you can't pass that up um, and again you know just uh, going back to the idea of influences That's what I'm hoping with this podcast that hopefully I can present some people that have the great minds in pole vault that can help everyone, whether it's coaching, you know, uh, whether it's an athlete talking about, you know, the the psychology behind the event and how to mentally prepare or whoever. I can maybe get a nutritionist on, too, and go over that kind of stuff. But hopefully this is is a good platform for that and people can come to it for information. Um, Can you go a little bit more in depth, too, on, like the history with your coaching at Knoxville. So one, once sure. you got here and you started coaching, like, how did you develop this amazing program? Because I, I really like, uh, you know, I, for people who don't know, check out the YouTube channel Vault Monkey. It mm-hmm. is basically like the history of Knoxville pole bowl and – I've got to check it out. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I've got to check it out. Yeah. Is it Russ who posts? Russ. Oh, Russ yeah. It's yeah. Russ Johnson, Johnson right? right? He's yeah, he, yeah, he's the current coach uh, for the men's pole vault at UT, and he posts all these videos, and they're amazing. I mean, one of my favorite is, like, the Lawrence Johnson video. He's indoors, <laughs> and he's a sophomore, and he jumps 19 feet. It's amazing. Um, how did you develop this, this great program? Well, it
1: was... Um I I appreciate you asking about the history. I'll try to keep it as complex <laughs> as possible. Because I, I love the history of the vault, and I love, um, we've been very blessed here in Knoxville. But the, the very, the short version is, um, Tennessee has had a powerhouse track program, and back in the 70s and 80s with Coach Huntsman and Coach Brown, and, mm-hmm. and then into the 90s with Brown and Webb. We had, um, they were very, they were high quality, they had, they won like twenty SEC championships in a row, and they had great throwers and and uh, great sprinters with Sam Grady and Jeff Phillips and Willie Galt hurdling, and so they were. I, and and Coach Dickey, our athletic director, was very supportive of
0: all sports. He said, "If we're going to have a sport, it's going to be competitive." And so, how re- how refreshing to hear that from an athletic director?
1: Yeah, it was fantastic, and we had it was a great time because we had. All these Hall of Fame coaches, national championship coaches with uh, Johnny Majors and Pat Summit and Philip Fulmer and Coach Huntsman was the head Olympic coach in, in the 88 games mm-hmm. and all these great, great people. And I was lucky enough to get put in the middle of that as a very young coach, as a GA, because Tennessee had won the SEC championship in 85 and they had not scored in the vault. They didn't, sc- wow. they didn't enter a vaulter
0: wow. because yeah. they had all these
1: other great athletes. Right. And, you know, they were good coaches. So they said, well, where do we need to improve? Where do we need to get better? So they decided to put some emphasis in the pole vault and they, um, they hired me as a graduate assistant and they said, you're going to be in charge of the pole vault and the high jump and you're going to help coach Webb coach the pole vault decathlon and help, mm. with, the- help with that. And you're going to go to school and sport management. And that's wow. that's how I ended up in Knoxville. Okay. And our school record was seventeen feet two inches. And wow. I came in here and I was scared to death.
0: I was, <laughs> I was petrified.
1: It was it was such a great opportunity, but, yeah, but I'm like it is need, scary, yeah. I'm like, we need to keep up. Yeah. You know, we need to we need to pull our weight. Right. And we need we have these resources. And so they said we're gonna get you a blue chip kid and you're gonna get a couple walk-on kids and you're gonna you're gonna go to it. Yeah. And so John and Rich and um John Coyne and Rich Fulford and Todd Ranson and Jose San Miguel came from Puerto Rico. He was junior wow. champion in Puerto Rico. Okay. And they were all walk ons except for John. I think okay. maybe Rich got books. And so John was a sixteen footer and Rich was a fourteen footer and Okay. And um and we got to work and I was very um i was very motivated i was very intimidated and uh because i wanted to keep up with all these other great programs and great athletes on campus so we set some high goals and uh we wanted to rewrite the top 10 list and rich became our first 18 footer a couple wow. of years later he he had an amazing freshman year he went from like 14 feet to 17 in one year wow that's which unbelievable fantastic. yeah but and so we wanted to pull our weight for the team. We wanted to score as many points as possible. And uh, kind of the inside story, when we were on Lawrence early because he went to the same high school as Rich. Okay. So so we knew about Lawrence coming out of Virginia, and we recruited regionally. We recruited from the mm-hmm. Midwest and Virginia and Georgia. Okay. And uh, so so when... Our second crop of vaulters was um, Adam Smith and Justin Daler and Rich, and they were great. And so at the time Lawrence was coming out of school, we had three 18-footers. Wow. And so that was attractive to him, and he knew Rich from his high school. Right, right, right. And so Lawrence was our first world-class guy Man. and did an amazing job, set the American record his, junior, his freshman year in college, jumped um, five seventy. And then uh,
0: Now, let let me ask you this. Now, us just talking here, this Mm -hmm. seems to happen like that fast. Did it feel like things happened that fast? Or, you know, when you think about it, it's like you kind of can feel the time and how long and how much effort you put in. Or, I mean, how did it feel like when you were experiencing all that development? Because to think of a program where, you know, they didn't score a point in the men's pole vault and the school record was 17.2 to now you have Lawrence Johnson, you know, saying an American record, you know. Well, it happened pretty fast. Things go <laughs> fast. I mean, you have to jump on board. So Yeah, yeah.
1: So we went from so we went, you know, we went from 8 years later we had the American record and our school record was nineteen seven and a half. and <sighs> Unbelievable. So, it go but it goes very fast. Yeah. And I think what you have to do is it's all about developing uh, your philosophy of what you want to do, and I think that when you look at it, what's fun now is I can look back on thirty years of coaching or helping younger coaches, and I'm like, well, what did we do? What could we have done better? How did we do it? What? Why were we? Um, why were we so fortunate? Um, I think we we made some good moves, and it's now as a professor at the University of Tennessee, I get to study leadership theory mm-hmm. and I get to talk about great coaches. And so I was very, I was very lucky to have a lot of resources, mm-hmm. at least just nothing fancy, nothing mm-hmm. fancy but access to resources. We had a good place right. to jump outdoors. We had a good place to jump indoors. Right. We didn't do anything fancy. We didn't have any fancy equipment, but, yeah. but we, had a, we had an opportunity there. I think when you look at setting up a program or developing a philosophy, you have to you have to decide to do that consciously. Okay. And I think good coaches will do that. I mean, we have this thing at Tennessee where we have General Nealon is our most famous football coach, okay. Hall of Fame coach. The stadium's named after him. Mm-hmm. You look at his record he has this unbelievable record. He has this thing where he has his pole ball, I'm sorry, he sorry has his football <laughs> maxims. Yeah. Football maxims. So he has these these 10 things that you have to do to win a football game. Okay. And so I kind of got hooked on that early mm-hmm. on and I'm like, okay. And then I was reading, I love to read great coaches and I was surrounded by great coaches. I love to read their books. So I was reading Coach Summit's book and mm-hmm. she had a book that she said it was called Reach for the Summit. Okay. And she said it's called The Definite Dozen Principle for Success in Anything You Do. Okay. That's the subtitle. hmm And she, she has this philosophy about 12 things she wants her players to do to be successful. Okay. And so they take their philosophy and they boil it down into these fundamentals. Right. These basic, basic fundamentals. And if you think about it, John Wooden did it in basketball. No, yeah. With the Pyramid yeah. of Success. Right. And so or if you look read good to great or great by choice the famous business books by jim Mm -hmm. collins Mm -hmm. he tries to boil down these fundamentals that make these businesses 10 times better than any other business right so i played around with that idea i'm like what are the fundamentals we need to do because i was busy i was going to law school working my way through law school working my getting my graduate degree i was coaching these guys i'm like we have to make it as efficient as possible.
0: Right, because if you don't have that philosophy or you don't have those rules to live by or coach by, it makes it really hard when you're that busy. You yeah. know, that you're you're like a chicken with your head cut off running around.
1: And these great coaches, they were trying to boil down what they thought were the success factors that made them successful. So I tried to look at different sports, not just football. And that's why I really kind of bought into I got I got this idea that well, what do you really need when the, under the most, pre- how are you going to perform when, when you're under pressure? How are you mm-hmm. going to perform when you're in the SEC championships and your team needs points? And they've got scholarship money wrapped up in your athlete. How, how are you going to score at nationals? How mm-hmm. are you, gonna, uh, and so this, it kind of struck me because there's different models. Coaches use different models. Right. And some coaches are very scientific and they go by all the data. Right. Some coaches are very traditional. This is how my coach did it. This is how we do it here. This is how we're doing this. Some coaches are very innovative. We're going to try something new. We're going to break the mold. Yeah. We're going to do it this way. There's a champions model, too. We're going to study what the great champions did and see what they did. And I didn't have time to do all those. (laughs) And the, the one that was most fun for me was looking at the history of the event and saying what did the what did the Olympic champions do Because if you can hold up under the pressure of the Olympic scenario and yeah. competing against the whole world, yeah what do they do? So I got it in my head very early I'm like, well which coaches do you study? Which coaches do you study? Well who coached the Olympic champions right right so I, I looked at that and if you think about it, you only have to study about three or four people yeah. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Or three or four different schools of vaulting. Because if you look at over the history of the modern pole vault since since fiberglass right. was added in the mix, late seventies, early eighties, you're gonna study you're gonna study Coach Krasinski and the Polish. Yeah. And what he did in what he did on the West Coast when he came to the US. Right, yeah. You're gonna study the Soviet influence and so that's Petrov. Yeah because of all this before the Soviet Union fell, you know, you had this this powerhouse where they cleaned up in Seoul. You know, they, yeah. they swept the podium in Seoul. Right. So you're gonna look at, well, what's the Soviet influence and what, who are the great coaches there? And then you have to look at the French. You have to look at the French with Renault, with Quinone, right. with um, all the great vaulters, they had. They had the Olympic champion in 96. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you only have three schools to look at.
0: Right. And, and I, th- I think that's, you know, interesting that you say that because uh, I know when I first started coaching, I mean, one of the things that I looked at, I was like, well, okay, you know, the world record at the time was held by Sergey Bubka. How did this guy jump? How did he develop? Right. You know, it's like, why not look there? And even that idea too of looking outside of pole vault too. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to look at great coaches from all sports because it's everything's connected. I mean, you even brought up business. Yeah. I mean, if you can be successful in business, there's probably something to take from there and add to your coaching philosophy. Um, because I know even this past summer, you know, talking about the Olympics and not pole vault specifically, but the women's gymnastics team USA and think about the impact that Marta Caroli has on those girls like i, I for me watching the men and women at, in opposition it's like the women perform so well at the olympics because there's no greater pressure for them than practicing with Marta Caroli it's almost like the olympics is their oh. moment to relax and just perform you know and Wow, you know, the impact that she had, whereas the men's program, you could see how they kind of like some skills that were maybe normal or routine for them didn't work out at the Olympics because of that pressure. So those are all interesting ideas. You have to be able to look outside of Povo even for some influence.
1: Yeah, and I think as as a country, as the United States, we should be, we should take pride in what we've done. I mean, we Mm -hmm. are one of those four countries um, that people need to study. Right, And our system is different. Our system is looser. Mm -hmm. We don't have that leverage of having an academy where people have to come and perform for the ranch, for for the Corollis, And it's more of a trickle-down effect. Mm -hmm. But we have a great tradition. If you think about the medals from the 2000 to 2016, Mm -hmm. we have have five medals in the Olympic football. Two of them gold. We have more than any other country. Right. So it's something that people need to say. Well, we need to we need to study those influences too, and but if you think about it, Petrov is the corollary of our sport. Mm-hmm. He really is, and it, it it makes me very happy because when I started as a coach, he was he was at the pinnacle with Sergei. and to see him sitting in the stands as as with the with the Brazilian with the twenty two year old. Right it mm-hmm. was it was fantastic i was i was very happy i was very happy to see that but he's really the corollary of our sport because mm-hmm. he influenced my generation he if he influenced he's influencing this generation with with brazil mm-hmm. and he, you know that's a long term thing you know he yeah. encouraged he encouraged thiago at a young age and then uh he, Tiago went to Italy, went to Formia, right. to the training center, and has worked with Coach Petrov for the last couple years. Mm-hmm. And that was just an amazing competition, wasn't it? Yeah. It was amazing.
0: I, it, it was unbelievable to just see the, the transformation. And, you know, I was watching videos of Tiago prior to the Olympics. And just to see, from a technical point of view how much his run came along, his pole carry, how it all yeah. came together to give you that 603 jump. Oh. I mean, oh my good! I, I told you <laughs> on the phone on the drive down. I was like, I jumped out of my seat uh, you know, when I was yeah. watching the live feed.
1: I couldn't stop smiling. I couldn't stop smiling. And The thing is, and I guess I don't want to get off. I want to kind of go back to that developing your philosophy thing. Mm-hmm. But since we're talking about this summer's Olympics, I mean, I couldn't stop smiling because it started off as the worst pole vault ever
0: you know it was it was terrible with the rain was, delay every hour
1: rain delay and it's like oh this is going to be awful and i was scared that live feed was going to cut off right and then, right. And then the standards, the standards issue. broke And it's, every time they pull up those those fancy standards at the olympics i think three out of the last four times they broke yeah and so and I'm like, oh man, this is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being one of the greatest finals ever, I think. Oh cause, my goodness. Cause
0: Renault was fantastic. Yeah, I, I he was fantastic. I, and I said this with Roman. It's like his opening bar of eighteen ten. I mean, it didn't even look like a good jump, but he blew it up. It looked yeah. so easy. Yeah. It looked like he could just close his eyes and clear bars that I night. I think
1: he was the worried the pole was going to be too small, and and he it was. But he it was fantastic. He was clean through the Olympic record. Mm-hmm. He came out and he hammered it. Yeah, and did everything that. You know, you think when you set your goals, if you want to win the gold medal, you think I'm going to have to break the Olympic record because they, right. set, they set it, it goes up a centimeter every four at, years yeah. and you expect it to be broken. And that's what we told, that's what Tim's goal was, is we're going to, you're going to have to expect to jump the Olympic record if you want to win. And right. sure enough, that's what he had to do. Right. So you
0: would think. At that point. At that, that point. He's got it. Oh my gosh. And he was fantastic yeah and well and, and I, t- I talked a little bit about this with roman i wanted to get your thoughts on it so you know the way it unfolded too so renault takes his first attempt at 603 narrow miss you know it's right there tiago goes he gets stood up he doesn't right. swing right he went to, and, think he went
1: to a bigger pole yeah yep.
0: i i thought too like personally watching it i thought too maybe he rushed the approach a little right. bit that time and then the second attempt, Renault again goes narrow miss. It's right there. You know, you feel like still at this point, Renault's got everything under control. And when Thiago comes out for that second attempt, you just see the approach is just better. And boom, he hits that jump. And one, I thought that's what killed Renault because now he only has one attempt left. Yeah. You know, so do
1: you jump that bar, or do you and then that's try to get three ask. more?
0: Yeah. What do you think? Because Roman's opinion was that he felt he passed because he wanted a little bit more rest mm-hmm. to get, recover for that next jump. Yeah. But to me, and I, I understand where Roman's coming from, um, but I felt like you know six is such a high bar. Maybe he needed three cracks at it. You know. Right.
1: Right. I think it's six and one half dozen in the other. I think, <laughs> I, I, I think you have to. You go with. You whatever makes the athlete confident. Yeah. So so you're from a coaching perspective at that point. If you if you get a little more rest, and that's what he's confident in doing, that's what you, yeah. you want him to. You want to you want to back him however he feels. He's yeah. an experienced guy.
0: Right. So yeah, if he comes yeah. over and he says, "Let's pass." Yeah, you, you, you gotta, can't disagree. You, you got to back him all the way and give him as much confidence as possible. I I remember one meet. Um, you know, obviously a little bit uh, smaller stage. We're at D3 Nationals, and uh, my one athlete who would end up jumping 13.9 and three quarters her senior year, it's her junior year, she had just double PR'd. She just wow. jumped 13.3, 13.5 bars, and we just missed our, our first two attempts at 13.7, and the other two girls had, had made it already. Right. So at that point, and you know, I can tell she's a little bit gassed. Right. But I look over, I'm like, hey, we got to pass. Just pass to 13.9. And it didn't work out, but she almost made it. Like, she yeah. had a good attempt at 39, but you could tell the pass charged her up a little bit, that, you know?
1: And that's perfect because because she's a younger competitor and she needed to get confidence from you. And if you're confident in what you're saying right. and she's willing and she's buying in, yeah, that's so important. Right. That is that is so important that she can have confidence in what you're saying and go ahead and you got a little more time and she almost made it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Tim had the same thing in the Olympics. We had um, we had the whole meet charted because mm-hmm. I'd done this
0: thing. I'd done I remember this, you talking about yeah. this in AC. <laughs> yeah, so
1: so you know this was back and and Bill Walsh was revolutionizing football and he was mm-hmm. t- he was changing offense and doing these things. Right. And I liked the idea of what he was saying about we need to. He would script the first twenty plays in the game. Right. Doesn't matter what the defense does. We know what we want to do. We want to see how they react. Yeah, we're going to script every play. Mm-hmm. And I really like that idea because in a pole vault, sometimes we just kind of go with the flow. Well, we'll start here and see how it works out, and work yeah. our way and work our way up, and we'll work through it. And right. I think you have to do that at times. I think you have to right. do that at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. but. I, but we really got into Tim bought into this thing of we're gonna do our thing and we're gonna script the meet so we know exactly what we want to do and be confident in that. Right, right, right. So, right. so in the finals in Athens, we had decided to pass five eighty okay. because we didn't think it was gonna medal. It didn't fit the way the increments were set up. Okay, it would give him it would give him a chance to take a breather. Yeah, and it, it wasn't gonna matter. Right. So we decided to pass 580. So we get in the finals and the bar gets to 580. And there are only like four guys left. Right. And so everybody's talking to me. Well, you know, there's only four guys left. If you make this.
0: Probably metal. Probably metal.
1: <laughs> and everybody's walking around talking to their coaches. And he was so good. He was so locked in. He came over and he looked at me. And we'd been working together for so long. He came right. over and he looked at me and he, he goes, he goes, I didn't want, And I didn't want to change the plan. Right. So what do you do as a coach? You're like, you don't want to bring that up. You don't right. want to put that seed in his head. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If he doesn't want it there. And so I looked at him. I gave him a thumbs up. I said, you're looking good. How are you feeling? Yeah. And he's like, I'm not passing. He's like, I'm not going to. I don't know. He said, I'm not jumping this height. Right, right. I'm not jumping this height. So yeah. I'm like, good. Stick to the plan. Right. And that height was didn't matter
0: it's it's funny you bring up that moment too there's so much of that psychology in those moments at the meets like yeah you you definitely don't want to bring it up either way you know what (laughs) i mean you want to see what his reaction is and go off of him because you you want to support him regardless you know yeah and
1: especially at at those championship levels it's not everybody's physically pretty much the same yeah Everybody's yeah. physically pretty much the same. Everybody's running 9.4, 9.5 meters per second. Everybody's right. gripping about the same. It's it's who's mentally strong and who's mentally tough and who has who can stick to their plan. And that's what you saw. That's why it became such a great final. Right. I, in Rio because those guys went out and performed. Yeah. They they went out and they battled and they did what they were supposed to do. It wasn't, nobody won because somebody else didn't perform.
0: Right. right. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like a default victory. Somebody no. jumped, you know, 594 or something. And that was it. Everybody no, else it jumped 585. It yeah. was
1: fantastic. And they stuck to what they did best and they were all different. I mean, yeah. that, that was exciting too, because you had, you had those old schools because even mm-hmm. though, even though his jersey said Brazil, he was a Petrov coach. kid, Right. He was right. A, you so you had the the major players. You had the U.S. guy. You had the French guy. You had the Russian guy. The Russian
0: model, yeah. You yeah, had the Russian
1: model, and they were all working their working their
0: philosophy, and they were all doing well. Yeah, it was
1: it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, it it, it was it was amazing to watch. Um, you know, and just just to continue off of the psychology, I'll, I'll tell a little story. Uh, so. I was at Division Three Nationals again, and it was Michelle's senior year. And it, indoors, she set the record. She jumped 13.93 quarters, and outdoors was a little bit rough. And we had actually come to see Ray Relays here oh. for a meet, and she didn't do well. We tried to do a long approach. It didn't work out. And she had really been jumping most of outdoors from a shorter approach. She was doing a six-left approach, and that's how she won Penn Relays mm-hmm. in the championship pit that year. And we're at Nationals, and she's warming up. So she's back at her eight left approach, and she had run through like two or three times, and she walks off the pit and she walks up to me, and I'm I'm about to tell her I'm like, look, one more time, and we're just going back to a six. Like we're right. not going to lose this meet because we're going to run right. through. If we have to try to win from a six, we're going to try to win from a six. Okay. And right before I open my mouth, the national anthem goes off. <laughs> <laughs> so we're standing there for the national so anthem. You had some
1: time to think about yeah. it. Yeah.
0: So completely silent. And it's like, you know, like the moment passed, right? right? And so she's like, what did you want to say? And I was like, uh, nothing. Just go ahead. And so she comes down, takes off from an eight, right? Great jump. <laughs> and she goes, you're going to tell me that if I run through one more time, <laughs> if we're going to go from a six. And I go, yeah. But I didn't want to say it, you that's know? That's good,
1: though. But she, so, that's good she knew. She yeah. Knew, she yeah, knew what yeah. was coming. And I think that's, that's so important. You have to develop... You have to develop that trust with your coach because it is—it's such a challenging event, isn't it? Isn't it the greatest event? Yeah. Because it's—it is the ultimate challenge. I think I've coached football, I've coached basketball, I've coached track and field, mm-hmm. but the pole vault is so fun because you can make improvements. Mm-hmm. You you know, if you think about an elite sprint coach, the best they can do is improve maybe two or three percent three or four percent right. yeah but it's fun yeah. because these athletes can make technical improvements they can improve but it's really such a mental challenge yeah and so that's part of it too and it's hard to practice too because you can only do you have to pull vault full speed for the most part yeah when you when you have a jump session and you're going from 14 steps short run or you're going from 18 or 20 steps long run to really you should be running full speed right and that's absolutely and that's stressful and that's you can only take so many reps so we have a very challenging event that, that it's hard to practice because we can't do a lot of reps and it's it becomes um, so I think it's the ultimate challenge because it's it's mentally conducive I got to give props to uh, Sam and his dad mm-hmm. because that guy is does what he needs to do he finishes jumps he's efficient
0: yes and super he,
1: efficient and he accelerates through the jumps and that's how you get good because he is very he is so efficient and you know he's going to go down there and he's going to finish jumps and you know he's going to be consistent mm-hmm. and that is that he's always a threat He's yeah. always going to be a threat.
0: Right. He, he's, he's very consistent. And, and something you said that I think is key is, you know, that he accelerates through the jump. Mm-hmm. I don't think people understand that idea that it's like you can't have, let's say, a real quick swing and then just get stuck in the middle of the jump. Like you have to accelerate through the entire jump. And it goes back to even something I remember you talking about in that Atlantic City coaches clinic about, you know, being active versus being passive. Yeah. Like, you have to be active throughout the entire jump. And, and before we came in here, I was just saying, it's like, regardless of your philosophy, if you're watching videotape of your own jump and you're going frame by frame and you've gone two, three frames and you haven't moved through the jump, mm-hmm. there's there's a problem and you have to try to correct that.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that's what we have to understand is we have to understand there's two components. There's, there's technique and there's positions and then there's tempo and there's speed. Mm-hmm. And we have to, we always... Sometimes we talk about technique, but we don't remember to talk about tempo. Right, and we have to always we have to always think it's tempo, and that's why it's fun to watch Sam. I yeah, think, I think Sam is Sam is a dangerous vaulter. He is he he's America's only world class vaulter right now.
0: Right, right, you know, yeah. On the men's side, he he's on the men's it. side
1: he is it, and we need to we need to look at the characteristics that he's doing well at. Yeah, and really. The thing is you always have to remember that tempo. It's an acceleration of forces because it's in the simplest idea, you know, you're trying to we're working on pull speed and swing speed. Right. The pole has to move into in the pit, and we have to swing our center right. of gravity as high as possible. And we do that through momentum. And if we stop that momentum anywhere, it's you can't restart it. Right. You know, you're not going to be as efficient. And so Sam gets that. He gets that. It doesn't matter. I watched him at the Olympic trials. I've watched him, at, I watched him at the games. It doesn't matter. His step can be six inches under, three inches out. His step is not perfect every time, but he's accelerating through mm-hmm. the takeoff. He's moving the pole to vertical, and he keeps everything moving and try to accelerate through the jump. And that's what I tell my athletes. It should feel like you're trying to speed up through the jump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scientifically, once you leave the ground, you're not really going to speed up. Right. But you should be you should be as active as possible yeah
0: you have to fight for that i mean it's it's same thing like kind of like i'm going to bring up weightlifting or weight training again but you know they talk about accelerating the bar Mm -hmm. you know it are you really i don't know but you know you're supposed to be trying to accelerate that bar through the uh, through the exercise movement whether it's bench press squat deadlift you know so that's the same idea you have to try to accelerate through that movement um you know and something else that you brought up that i I think is huge you know let's say like Sam comes down he is under or his plant is a little bit late or whatever as a, as a pole vault athlete you have to develop that awareness where you're making these minor adjustments I mean no two jumps are going to be the same and you have to be able to adjust and still get that jump off right. you know and I think that's something that a lot of people miss I think a lot of people can work to try to take off but they don't try to get themselves in a position where they can complete the jump
1: you know and I think I think you bring up a good point and i think it's kind of funny you brought up that that um vault of lawrence when he was a sophomore mm-hmm. you know so here's here's lawrence lawrence jumps 19 feet as a sophomore in college mm-hmm. with a, like an 11-6 step which is not not <laughs> perfect
0: yeah like, that that take off yeah that, <laughs> it does look right like like,
1: it. it's not perfect but it's something he was working on mm-hmm. and then by the time he was a senior in college he had a 13-foot step Mm-hmm. and he was jumping the american record. Right. So it's something you're working on, but in his mind he shouldn't be worrying about that. He right. should be worrying about what he's doing and accelerating through the takeoff and moving the pole and swinging through his top hand. He's doing those things. We get people that are too caught up in, well, my step was at my step was 4 inches under. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of gold medals that have been won with the step this which yeah. is under. <laughs> yeah So and it's not perfect, but because there are so many variables in your run and dropping the pole, in the conditions, you know, as you said, every approach is not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. We can't I always tell my athletes, we, we can always be aggressive. We can strive for perfection, but we can always be aggressive. Right you know it's not going to be perfect every time but it can always be aggressive yeah and it's like sandy with this great jump she had it's fantastic i don't care if her step was perfect i like that she accelerated through the jump
0: right i like
1: that she was aggressive through the takeoff when i look at when i look at an athlete's jump or if i watch film i'm looking to see if the pole continues to move forward and rotate does the pole continue to move towards the crossbar does the athlete's center of gravity continue to move forward, or does it stop anywhere? You know, you have to look at that summation of forces.
0: Yeah, and, and that's that's an important thing, too. Like, the, I think the way you're describing looking at the jump right now is so important, because I can remember even when, you know, I first started coaching, and I'm looking at videos, and, you know, Alan Launder had, a, I think, a DVD that came with The Beginner to Bupka, and it's, like, videos of Dimitri Markov, who drops his drive knee, Giuseppe Gibilisco, who tucks a little bit, and then Bupka. And I'm like, well, I want my kids to look like Bupka, but who are these other two guys? Like, why are they on the same video? Like, they don't look like, you know what I mean? Because so they I thi- jump really high. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. jump really high. That's why they're there. Right. But the thing is, like you're saying, like the speed of the jump, their center of gravity moving through the air, you know, those are the similarities. Sure, there might be some differences, like the drive knee or this or that. But the thing is, is the speed there? Is the momentum well, there? The they, rhythm? And you know? how
1: they move the top of the pole. Right. How does the pole move into the pit? And I think that's, that's why I tell people, I said, if you're not watching film, if you're watching film, are you watching film as much in regular speed as you are in slow motion? Yeah. You know, so you need to watch it in regular speed as much as you do in slow motion. Right. Face it, everybody looks good in slow motion.
0: Yes. You know,
1: but the thing is, is you can't tell the rhythm. You can't tell the, you can't tell the acceleration. Right. You can't tell the rhythm of the jump. If you're watching it in slow motion, right? And it's like Sandy's jump. It's fantastic because if you watch her top arm, if you watch the top of the pole, the top of the pole continues to move and rotate. Mm-hmm. She accelerates through the takeoff, and she turns into her top hand. Yeah. And it's it's really fun to see. Yeah, it's really, it's really a good time. She, and it's she's amazing. It's, yeah. Yeah. So that's exciting. I mean, I I get excited when I see people that are efficient with what they do.
0: Yeah, and uh, like you said, getting excited about that efficiency when you see a jump like that, and even going back to what you said about seeing Petrov's young Valt or Tiago win the Olympics, and I feel like sometimes too, as a coach, when you're watching these events, that's kind of like what you're looking for. It's like if, if you're picking a side, you're like, I'm going to go with the coached side or the, the person who has that efficient jump because you know what goes into that and how hard it is to sometimes achieve that. You know, if everybody oh, yeah. jumped like Sam Kendricks, I mean, oh my goodness, what, what would the world record be? But it's like we know how hard it is to attain that kind of efficient jump and it's it's something to be appreciated.
1: Yeah, and I think I – think, well, you bring up a really good point. I think this is really <laughs> kind of neat because I sit there and I can really – I can really appreciate and applaud what Sam and his dad did because that is a long struggle, and they they do the fundamentals really, really well. Right? And have then,
0: you have you ever seen his video uh, YouTube video? I think it's four left, and he jumps fourteen on a stiff pole. <laughs> you know, so you can see it. that fundamental yeah. work.
1: Yeah. And that, oh, that that brings up a whole other uh, discussion. But, <laughs> but and then you see it at another level. I got to say this because I don't know if I've told this to anybody, but so this was very famous. So mm-hmm. Petrov and Buka and his first paper in 1983. Okay, it was very famous. The Birmingham paper. He did mm-hmm. a he did a speech to the coaches association in mm-hmm. England, and they reprinted this this um, speech. And it's an awesome article. It was the first mm-hmm. article I read. I, I remember coach. it. And uh, but I think everybody misinterprets that article. Okay. I really think they do. Because we spent we spent the next ten years talking about a free takeoff and talking about is your step two inches out or is your step under. I really don't think that's what he was trying to say in that article.
0: No well and you even hear Bubka, you know, there's that famous quote, he goes, you know, my goal was always to have a free takeoff, but it only happened
1: yeah. rarely, you know?
0: Yeah. And and that's kinda like I even think about sometimes people put like, let's say, a towel down at takeoff, and they're All like, right. you got to jump behind the towel, and it's like, no, what you're going after is the idea of the free takeoff, and to have right. that aggressiveness of a free takeoff, but you're not going to nail it every time, and uh, do you know Lane Lore? I have met Lane. Yeah, yeah, well, Lane is the Wash U coach, and so cool. we always see each other at, at Division Three Nationals, and we were talking the one time, because, you know, we were talking about how in Division Three now, there's not a lot of coaches catching mid-marks anymore, hmm. you know, and me and Lane are big mid-mark guys. And Lane laughed. He goes, Phew. he goes, when I competed, I didn't catch my takeoff. because all I cared about was my mid mark. But it's like people will obsess over something like that. Because even, even the mid mark, you shouldn't be religious about it. I mean, I remember you right. using that word, you know, talking about DJ's mid chart. It's like it's a good guide. Right. But then you have to make your little adjustments off of it. And you can't just get obsessed over a certain uh, number or a certain picture even. Because like you talk about slow motion video. You know, someone will slow down a video and be like, oh, look, your your drive, knee, your heel wasn't touching your butt, your knee wasn't quite high enough. Yeah, but you have to think about it in the spectrum of the whole movement. Right,
1: and I think, and especially that too, it's easy for me to say, when somebody points out something, like you said, your knee drive, that's going to relate back, you as a coach have to relate that back to... Well, this is because of your posture or your mechanics as you, right. as you finish the takeoff as you, or your last two steps. So I think good coaching is always you're, you're not looking at the result. You're looking at the cause mm-hmm. and you're helping them fix the cause. I have a lot of coaches go out. They'll tell you what you're doing wrong, but they don't back up and tell you where it's coming from and how to fix it. Right. And But you really bring up a good point with, the mid marks and the steps is I don't want my athletes thinking about those things. Right. I, those are coaches marks. That's why they call it a coach's mark. Right. And those are marks for me to evaluate. And I have so many athletes when I go to practices or clinics sometime, they're so worried about their step and they're so worried about where they were on, where their midpoint was. I would rather them worry about how they're, how they're, Attacking the last three steps or, or how tall they're staying through the takeoff and mm-hmm. how they're dropping the pole Let them worry about that. Let me worry about the steps. Yeah, you should be thinking about those things Don't let your athletes get too caught up in those marks there They should be worried about the rhythm and their mechanics and 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 how they're doing the event
0: Yeah, I, I had an interesting conversation um, at high school nationals with Scott Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was there and we were talking he goes, you know He goes, I just finally got to the point, he goes, in my career, he goes, and what helped me was that if I slow down, if I'm not aggressive, I know I have very low probability of clearing the bar. So the thing I have in mind, whether I feel out, whether I feel under, I'm going to attack it. I'm going to be aggressive because that gives me the highest probability to clear the bar. And I, I thought that was just a great, interesting way to look at it. And... You know, Scott Houston has a, a great point with that. You know? That's a
1: good, That's a great way for the athlete to think about it. They have to think about being aggressive and accelerating through the jump. They really do. But back to that. Back to that paper.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, my view of what he's trying to say in that paper is that speed is the ultimate factor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How we transfer energy through the takeoff is is very important, and he gives us the basics for doing that, and really. Dropping the pole the pole is such an impediment to our run and takeoff Mm -hmm. It it slows us down. It gets puts us in bad positions that He's really talking about how we drop the pole how we can use how we can use the pole as an advantage Not let it be a disadvantage, right? And that's what's exciting when I see uh, Petrov influence Walter
0: yeah, like Tiago like Tiago
1: because his upside is unbelievable, but he's the one that's, he's the one that's trying to work with the pole, not Mm -hmm. just, not just control the pole.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And so I don't think we've had enough talk about that.
0: Right. I I mean, I I briefly spoke about that with Roman and and I, for me, that's what I think is so huge. Like when I watch that men's Olympic final and I watch Tiago run down the runway, it's that free pole carry, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, everybody talks about free takeoff, but is your, is your carry free? Because if you feel that weight of the pole, you're gonna slow down. You you can't run top speed. And I think too many people neglect that portion. There, a lot of people I think also look at the pole vault from the ground up, and they obsess over those pictures, and they're not looking at the approach, and they're not looking at the pole carry to see if it's <laughs> efficient.
1: You know. I, I think you're right, and I don't, I don't, I guess I don't get out a lot, so I, <laughs> I don't ask, I don't know, but I get that impression too that people <laughs> look at it from kind of the Kind of the last three steps to mm-hmm. do over the bar, and I think what when you see when you see a guy go out and break the Olympic record twi- or jump twice the six oh three instead right, of five ninety eight, right, right. the the Olympic record bar went up twice in that meet. Mm-hmm. You look at that and and you look at the differences, and what you're really seeing is this idea that man, it's really I'll tell you a story. Okay. So, I'll tell you a story. I'm better at stories. Yeah, yeah. So, in so, Tim's Olympic trials, Tim Mack's Olympic trials in 2004, we went to um, Sacramento, and it's funny because there's this video on YouTube. I think um, Todd Lehman's in the background, and he's talking to somebody on his phone. So, Tim sets the Olympic trials record. Right. And jumps like 19.4 and a half, and he blew it up. Yeah. He blew it up big time, and then he tried to make six meters, and so he we went to this press conference afterwards, and I'm just standing on the side, and so he's being interviewed, Olympic mm-hmm. team, and and they said, well, Tim, you got about six weeks before the Olympics. so What are you going to work on? What are you going to work <laughs> on to to get ready for the games? Yeah. What do you want to do before you go to the Olympics? And it was it was it was awesome because he was really honest. He said, well, you know, all we work on is is run plant and take off or run all we work on is run and take off so maybe we'll look at the in the air stuff yeah so i thought that was kind of telling because if you can jump if you can blow up 590 then maybe look at the in the air stuff but it's really right. the part that's on the runway how we drop the pole how we prepare for the pole it's- i don't even like the word drop because drop is i like the way we transfer the pole into the takeoff. okay and because I think what Petrov was trying to say is we should use the pole to our advantage, not con- not just try to keep it from being a disadvantage.
0: Right. Right.
1: And we, it's hard. Yeah. It's Hard to do. But that, and, and if we don't consciously practice that, we have, you know, basically, we have a static pole carry.
0: Right. And and I I agree with what you're saying. Like if if that that transfer of the pole is proper. You, you can actually accelerate the run a little bit more. And and like you said about Tim, that's kind of what I I said about Tiago before, you know, yeah. that the run and the plant and the takeoff was just so smooth and efficient that even the off-the-ground stuff, yeah, maybe it wasn't perfect, but there's just so much energy going into it that it, phew, oh, yeah. it almost didn't matter, you know. Right. Um, and, and how funny, you know. Like for Tim to give that kind of response when most people are like, wait, what? You don't talk about the stuff off the ground? (laughs) You know, it's like that's shocking to a lot of people. And at my club even, like, you know, I had uh, somebody come in this summer that didn't jump with me. And she had maybe only had two or three practices with me. And just the stuff with the pole carry, that transfer of the pole, you know, that pole drop. Her mid went back three feet. She was a girl hitting 41, and she started hitting 44s from a five, five left approach. Wow. And, you know, her and the dad, I think, were very shocked to see that. But it's like, that's how important that is. And now, if your mid moved that far back, think about the speed gains. And that's what right. I think a lot of people don't realize, you know?
1: Yeah, because it, it allows you to sprint, it allows you to be in a better position at takeoff. And, like you said, you can't get caught it, but the number's too much because mm-hmm. if she's doing it correctly, Right. You don't want to. You want to freak yourself out and say, "Oh, you can't move back this far." But that right. takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of rhythm runs, a lot of mm-hmm. pull runs on the track yeah. to really decide how that's gonna, how it's gonna work.
0: Yeah, it's 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 amazing to see that, and you know, just the development. Um, I guess the the last thing I wanted to kind of touch upon. Uh, I mean, I think we covered a lot of information, um, but you know, you brought up Richard Fulford. You know, and he came in at 14 feet, jumped 17 his freshman year. Um, that to me, it's like it's so amazing, that, that transition in one year. How do you think pole vault clubs have maybe changed that outcome? Because I think back then, I mean, uh, is this like late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about a time where maybe not as many pole vault clubs. So, mm-hmm. you know, because I saw it even in my area in New Jersey where you would see a kid jump 14 feet. Typically, they were gripping 14.6 on a 15.70 or 80. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we just said don't worry about off no, the off yeah, the ground, no, but yeah. they're c- completely have no knowledge of what to do on the pole off the ground and very rough. I mean, it's just a big bruising yeah. guy kind of smacking the pole. And so I, felt, I feel like you could see a guy go from 14 to 15 pretty quickly, maybe even mm-hmm. 14 to 16 pretty quickly. Do you think that is not as common now because of the pole vault clubs? Well,
1: I think um, I think it's great. I think the clubs are great. I think it it has changed the way we kind of evaluate vaulters when they go right. From, yeah, from that's high what I'm saying. College. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's changed because, and it's kind of weird, but you have to see it from our point of view. Yeah, you you want to see somebody because, um, say they've jumped 16 feet out of high school, which is still a good jump. Out right. Of high school. Yeah. Still Sixteen a is a very
0: school. good jump out of
1: high school. So. In the in the 90s, if a kid jumped 16 feet out of high school that was that was very good yeah. and we would look at them and what we look at is we have to still look at it's going to take 17 eight 17-6 to score in our conference so do they have the potential to improve so it's kind of changed the way which, we which just things.
0: to pause for a second but I mean think about that I mean, you know, 17-6, 17-8 to score in the SEC conference meet. We're not even talking about nationals now, right. you know, just so people understand the scope of how high some people are jumping in Division One and in certain conferences.
1: Yeah, so so Jake won our SECs last year at 18-6, which was a track record at Georgia. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have to score 17-4, 17-6 to mm-hmm. score. So we have to look at for people that are going to improve. Right. So, and it's changed a little bit because... We have to evaluate them and say, are they, have they reached their max potential? Right. You know, because they're in a good club with a good coach. Right. And and so we have to look at other things. Well, what's their, what's their chance for, for, to continue to improve? So we look at, do they play other sports? Right. Do they do other events in track and field? Do they run on the relay teams? Right. Do they, do they
0: have a history of that? So... Right. We're, it's like if if you had let's say for example a guy who who pole vaults fifteen six and he only long jumps eighteen feet, right. you know, you're probably like, wow, I don't know how much or if they've further. been Or if he's been coached year round for right.
1: year round with his club for a long time. Yeah. We have to kinda of make an evaluation is what is what's their continual progression, are they gonna to continue to improve? Right. But it's it's really improved I think people's running mechanics and Yeah and i think their technique has improved a lot Mm -hmm. with the clubs and we need as many people vaulting as we can because i i I agree just like anything else we uh the more the more the bigger our pool is the the better we have a chance of continuing to to develop these great great athletes
0: right right
1: and uh so but it has changed a little bit because it used to be that we're, look, we have to take that into consideration is how much have they already been coached because we don't know how much their technique can improve.
0: Right, right. Yeah. But it, it's, it's just crazy. And yeah, I, I think, I mean, I have a club myself, so I think clubs are great. And yeah. it's a great opportunity for kids to continue to learn and, and make advancements. And, you know, access. Oh, I talked about the last, uh, the Zero episode of the podcast, you know, the access to poles, I mean, yeah, that, that's that's huge too. Oh you know? yeah,
1: because usually your athletic director, it used to be in the old days, seventies, eighties, yeah. you didn't have access to those things. You had one pole, and it yeah. was it was a crapshoot. And it was, it's come a long way. It's, it's. I think it's a lot safer. I think it's a lot more fun. The kids are having fun. I really think we have to treat it as an athletic event, though. We have to make it, make kids understand that. You have to be a good athlete. You have to be the best athlete to pull right.
0: At, you know, ap- absolutely, absolutely. And you you bring up athletic events. Is something going on in Knoxville as uh, a market? Square oh yeah, we were going to talk about yeah. that.
1: Tim Tim Mack is doing a. We're going to do a street vault in uh, Market Square, which is our downtown mm-hmm. area, kind of our old city, just like they do out in Clovis or okay. uh, these other places, and. Uh, you know, we were talking about it. You'll have to get Tim on to do this because it's oh, going okay. to be this summer, but I don't know oh, really the exact summer. date. Okay. But it's going to be this summer. I think we're going to do it early early spring, summer. And right. UT is going to bring their pits down there and, and Jake Blankenship and Mark Hollis. And, oh, nice. And uh, Kelsey Ab is going to be there. She made the finals for the women this year for Canada. She trains in right. Knoxville. Right, right. And the Tim Mac Pole Vault Academy is going to be on display, and Roman and I are going to pitch in. Awesome. And it's the city, uh, Knoxville Chamber is going to sponsor it, so we're going to have a party and do some pole vaulting down at the square.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. That, that, that is great. And I, I think, you know, talking about growing the sport, I mean, these are the types of events that we need to have to, to bring attention, uh, you know, to the athletes, to bring attention to the sport. And it is such an amazing niche event in track and field. It is so different, like you said. You know, some of the other events, it's like, you know, if you can get 2%, 3% better in the 100 meters, that's a huge year, you know. Right. Whereas in pole vaulting, we can continue to make that progress, you know, if we keep working. And as long as we can keep providing opportunities for athletes to continue competing, I think that that's huge,
1: you know. Oh it's great because we're we're always looking for those chances and it's become a lot easier now with these you can just mm-hmm. load up the truck and yeah and put out the runway and go do it and we we've, we've got to have a balance. We've got to have a balance. Mm-hmm. We've got to bring the sport to the community. We've got to have fun, but we also have to train to do well in the stadiums, right? On the runway, off the boards. Yeah. And so we got to have a balance there. Mm-hmm. But we need to bring it to as many people as possible. But then we've got to we've got to develop these athletes on the world stage, too. I,
0: I, I agree. And I think, you know, you bring up the world stage. You know, that's why someone like Sandy Morris is so amazing oh. to watch because she continues. To, I, I mean, I feel like you could probably wake her up right now and she'll roll out of bed and jump 16 feet. I mean, she's so competitive, so consistent. You know, I mean, it's like her, her and Sam are really, like, shining for us now in America.
1: Yeah, and I've got... And you've got to you've got to, like you said you've got to take a nugget from everybody mm-hmm. you've got to take a nugget from i learned a lot from sam watching watching him this year he had a great build up to the meet. Mm-hmm. he had a great consistent gradual build up to this to that event and he had a super year and you have to take something from everybody and one of those things like you said you can take from uh sandy and sam is they will they will jump anywhere and finish jumps. Yeah. You know? They're efficient. They're efficient. They're confident in what they do. And you gotta go out and you gotta be efficient you gotta finish jumps. Brian Compton does a great job with those girls at Arkansas. Yeah. And for sure. He's he's a tough coach, man. He is yeah. a, I bet he doesn't put up with run-throughs.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I bet he doesn't do that. Probably not. I've heard some stories. I, I don't and, think he's gonna watch run-throughs.
1: But that's but you get results like this, where she will she will get out there and perform. There's no bailouts. There's no run-throughs. Mm-hmm. She's gonna go to get out there and be efficient and accelerate through the jump. Yeah, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think this was a awesome podcast. Thank you so much for 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 doing it. Um, It was amazing to come down here in Knoxville and and talk about Pole with with you and with Roman. Um, You know, I'm sure the audience is going to love this uh, a wealth of knowledge this weekend.
1: We are very kind, Robert. Thanks for having us. And if there's anything we can do to help, we'll come back and do it again. All right. But but
0: we love it. We love it. And thanks for coming. Hey, no problem. Thank you.